This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Which doesn't mean you have to leave. You, you're welcome to stay. <laughs> right? Thank you. <laughs> if we're talking about writing a book, monetizing your podcast from a book, so it should be great. Please, please feel free to stay. And if you want to leave, it's okay. But Oh, you got books. Okay, bye. It's fine. Bye. <laughs> All right. Okay, welcome. Um, I'm Julie Broad. I am the founder of Book Launchers. I'm also the author of three books, and uh, soon to be four. And I'm going to tell you a couple stories to kind of kick things off. And the first is how I actually entered the whole world of publishing and how my first book kind of came to be. Uh, and then we'll dive into what I know a lot of you were thinking about is, I've got all this podcast content. How can I turn it into a book? Well, we're going to walk through today how to do that and some strategy and some things to think about so that you set yourself up for success when you do that. But my whole journey into books started, well, first of all, as a little girl, I actually thought I'd be a writer. And then somebody told me writers don't make money. They, um, you know, and I also got a lot of C's in English class in high school. So I thought, well, I'm a terrible writer too. So the combination sent me to business school instead. And I became a real estate investor. And through real estate investing, I started writing a newsletter. And bit by bit, I had this thing called a platform. A platform is you know, your website, newsletter, basically anybody that's in front of you at any time. And I got approached by a publisher, actually two different publishers. And I was like, oh, cool. Like The little girl that thought she'd be a writer was like, oh, I'm going to get a book deal. I'm going to be a writer. It was so exciting. And Wiley was the most interested, and so I said, okay, I've got this idea. And I told them um, about the idea, and they went, mm, no, like, a general real estate book's already been done. So, but, you know, we have an idea. So they gave me an idea, and we built a book proposal together for three months. If anybody knows traditional publishing, this is really unusual. Normally, you're writing a proposal, finding an agent, agent shops you around, you know, maybe you get a book deal, maybe you don't. So I assumed there was a book deal in this whole thing, because... They gave me the idea. We built the proposal together. At the end of three months, though, after I'd hired people to help me with the proposal and all that fun stuff, Wiley goes, you know, the marketing department doesn't think you have a strong enough platform to sell enough books. So that was the end of that. But I decided to go back to the original book idea that I had. And I ended up self-publishing. I decided they don't want to work with me, then I'll do it myself, and I'll do it better than if they had given me a book deal. And that was the origination of my first book, which, by the way, Wiley told me I couldn't sell books, and I took it to number one on Amazon. Thank you. Ahead <laughs> of Dan Brown, ahead of Game of Thrones as a print book. Uh, it stayed in the top 100 print books for 45 days. So um, when Wiley called a little while later and asked if I was working on another book, I said yes. Thank you. <laughs> and that was that. But what I want to tell you about relevancy to what your world is with podcasting is I want you to think about something that everybody holds as true in your industry or whatever you talk about on your podcast that you actually don't agree with. And the reason I say this comes back to the reason that this book was successful and a lot of the books that we work with at Book Launchers are successful is because there's just something slightly different. And... <laughs> 
One of the stories I always think of when I talk about this is I was speaking, um, you know, the book led to doing a lot of speaking and a lot of media and things like that. And so, and I was in Canada at the time. I now live in the U.S. Um, but you'll hear it. As soon as I say process, everybody goes, where are you from? <laughs> so I am from Canada originally. But anybody here invest in real estate? Oh, yay, a few people. Okay, awesome. And so this weird thing happens in real estate where people, if you're an investor, people say, how many doors do you own? Right? It's really fun. So weird. So this used to be a thing. I'd get off a stage and I'd have, you know, a nice little group of people asking me questions after. And this one particular talk I did, this one guy came charging from the back of the room and he's like, how many doors do you own? And I was like, uh, I'm talking to people, you know, he's like, no, how many doors? I own 20 doors. I want to know if you own more than me or not. And I just smiled. I said, well, do I count closet doors? What about cupboard doors? What about back doors? <laughs> he didn't think I was funny. <laughs> It made him mad. But it, that's kind of how I think about the doors thing. I'm like, I knew people who had 100 properties who were underwater and people who had two and they were living large. So I don't think doors matter. I really don't. And that was one of the fundamental principles of my book was doors don't matter. It's what, what is it doing for your life? Same thing with passive income. Everybody runs around saying real estate investing is passive income. Well, my take was, well, I, I thought it was passive income, and I had a property manager rob rent money from me. So it's not passive. You still have to be actively involved. It might not be a full-time job. So I had a few takes on things that were a little different. Look, you, can, you still have to calculate cash flow the same way as everybody else. It's still the same fundamentals of how to you know, choose a market. So my book isn't that different than everything else in the real estate space, but I had a slightly different perspective. So in your topics, think about what is that one or even two things that you have a slightly different perspective on. And that will help you immensely in positioning and selling whatever it is that you're selling. So I see this in publishing. This happens too. So this is why I kind of say this works for every industry. The thing that people always ask, they see my book or they say they, they're talking to me and they go, which, which of your books has sold the most of all of your clients? Well, the truthful answer to both of these questions is I don't know. It, and it really, for the majority of authors, the number of books sold does not matter. Especially if you're in nonfiction and you're using this as a tool to monetize your business, grow your brand, um, and kind of in, expand your sphere of influence. What matters to me is that my book, Self-Publish and Succeed, has allowed me to partner with some book award companies. So everybody entering the North Street Book Award in 2022 and 2023 gets a copy of my book. So those are a whole bunch of authors that maybe didn't know I existed before that are now getting that. With my first book, More Than Cashflow, I partnered with Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine. And for two years, I was their keynote speaker on all of their investor forum stages and they gave away copies of my book to anybody who uh, bought a subscription, a two-year subscription to their magazine. I got tons of free advertising in their magazine for my book and for my business as a result of that partnership. I don't really care how many books I sold because it's building my brand, my business, and my whole, like everything I was doing at the time and with this, with this book too. So it's not the metric that matters the most, and a lot of people lose sight of that. So I kind of posed this question already, but as we go through the tips that I have for you today, I want you to think about what you believe that's just slightly different. Just like, it doesn't have to be radically different, but that slightly different edge can help you so much when you're positioning and marketing. Okay, so where you don't start. The conversation I've had a lot 
over the past couple of days is, okay, I've got these 22 episodes and I want to turn them into a book. That's not, not the best place to start. You can, and there's lots of, you know, lots of ways to do it very simply and cost-effectively, and maybe if all you care about is having those episodes out in some printed format, that's fine. But if you're thinking about, how am I going to grow my, my podcast? How am I going to monetize this? How am I going to turn things into a course? And, you know, just further expand with your intellectual property, the starting point should be more, a little bit different. We're going to talk about where that is. The other dangerous starting point is thinking about, okay, I want to be a bestseller. And the reason this is a dangerous starting point is that it makes you the product. And as soon as you're the product, I, I call them monsters. So I don't know who your monsters are. We all have monsters. But as soon as you're the product, you get these monsters that come out. And they're, they're my, my biggest one is fear of judgment. Fear of judgment. It's, it's, a, it's giant. It's a really big monster. I also have a fear of failure, a little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, the other one that comes up for a lot of people is a fear of success. I welcome success, so that's not my, that's not my big monster, but my big monster is definitely fear of judgment. I, I, I always give it a sandwich and tell it to just be quiet. <laughs> I'm like, here's your sandwich. Shh. <laughs> but it's there. But as soon as you put your book and the, the outcome that you want for your book front and center, now those monsters are loud. And your folk, what you'll find yourself, you'll know this is happening when you're thinking about if you have a publishing deal, the publisher's expectations. You can also be the publisher, so that can be your own expectations. Money, media attention, speaking, a lot of these things happen as a result of a well-positioned book. But focusing on getting that sets you up to have these monsters often defeat you. So somebody who comes to me and says, I've been working on the same book for three years and I haven't got it done yet. I often want to ask them who their monster is. I'm like, what's the, who's the monster? Um, because it's probably the monster stopping you. Um, Stephen Pressfield calls it uh, the resistance, but there's lots of different names for it. Ultimately, it is the thing you're supposed to be doing, and you know it, and something is just getting in your way. So flip it. Don't worry about you. Don't worry about the book, and focus on your reader. Put the reader front and center, because they need you. Right? I mean, we only do nonfiction, but even in fiction, your reader probably needs an outlet. They need an escape. They need a story to take them somewhere. So think about your reader, and then think about your podcast content, and how does that relate to the reader? And think about the stories and the perspective you have that will help them in some way, because that's the important piece, right, is how you're going to help that person. How are you going to make their life better, help them avoid pain, help them overcome something? All of those things are really, really important. And when you think about the reader, that's how I can get on stage and not be terrified anymore, because I used to get on stage and be shaking like a leaf, but I was thinking about me. I was worried about how you guys were going to think about me. When I got up here today, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I help you guys turn your content into a book that's going to help other people? And so that's the place I come from, and that puts me on a stage and puts me on my videos and everywhere, just trying to give you my best so you can give others your best. So that's what really helps keep the monsters quiet, and it also helps you, side, be side benefit is it helps you position yourself and your book in a way that people are going to want it. Your reader is not a demographic, though. So this is the next challenge. When I say put your reader front and center, a lot of people go, okay, well, I'm writing my book for women. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about you, but a lot of women are very different. They have very different needs, very different situations, very different outcomes. Another example I use is my dad. He's bald. Um, and so imagine you have a hair growth solution, right? Well, my dad's been bald since he's 30. 
He doesn't care that he's bald. He doesn't care about your hair regrowth solution. Um, but people will still try to market because they're like, oh, I, I'm going after bald men. Like, well, that's, that's not your market. And the other piece of that is your solution might be hair on their head, but that's not the outcome of the outcome. And why does that, why does hair on the head matter for that particular person? That's what you want to focus on. And so for just sticking with the hair, <laughs> the hair example uh, is, okay, after they have hair, what happens? Now a lot of them, pardon, yeah, Exactly. Now they're, they're going to get the ladies. Maybe they think it's going to be better for their career. They think they're going to get promoted or if they're a salesperson, maybe they're going to make more sales. So you want to know your reader so well that you can go, okay, this is going to get you the girls, right? This is, I'm offering hair regrowth, but this is the outcome of the outcome that you're going to get as a result of that. That's where you really want to go. So think about your podcast and if you're offering hope, I get this a lot because I meet people with really incredible stories. It's one of the beautiful things about what we do. And so hope is great, but it's not going to sell your book. Because unless you're a celebrity name that everybody knows, and that's selling your book, hope isn't enough. It has to be hope for a specific reason, for a specific person in a specific situation. So that's the outcome of the outcome. So I, I sometimes pick on leadership books a bit, um, because a lot of people are like, this is a, a leadership book. I'm like, great, that's not going to sell. So now, <laughs> let's figure out what will sell. So what is that specific spin? What does being a better leader mean to that specific audience that you're targeting? You have to get down into that. And it's not a demographic. There's demographic elements of it, but what we're talking about is what have they tried that hasn't worked? What's that outcome that they seek? What are the words that they use already? Kind of knowing that person. So you might have to stalk them a bit, right? Like stalk, find them, find where they're hanging out in a group online, see what they're talking about, um, and figure out what are their hopes and their dreams. And, and, and if you don't know, where are they hanging out? Because you need to know where they hang out so you can market your book to them, your podcast to them, all of those things. But also because where they hang out will allow you to learn about them so that you can talk to them at their level and offer solutions that will matter for them. Create your marketing-focused hook before you write. So we figured out who our reader is. We have a sense of how we're a little different, what our slightly different perspective is that we're offering. Now you create that hook, and this is the outcome of the outcome that I was talking about, right? This is where you're not offering hair regrowth, you're not offering hope. You have what that outcome is going to mean to your particular reader. <clears throat> Just gonna switch hands, the mic's actually kind of heavy. So, give you some examples to kind of take this home. So the first one I have for you is Emile Pandolfi's Play It Like You Mean It. And I also show these books because a lot of people are afraid to go niche. But as soon as you go niche, you've actually created a really simple marketing plan for yourself. Because when you try to target a too big of an audience when you're not a known name already, now you're competing with people who are a known name and you're still kind of not differentiating yourself enough to make people know, oh my goodness, this book is for me. So Emile's book, Play It Like You Mean It, it is for people who play the piano and for the most part do it professionally. So they're doing it in front of other people. So you can see how it's not just people who want to learn to play the piano. It's not just people who play the piano. It's people who get up in front of audiences and play. And so now you're looking at, okay, where do you market that book? How do they use it? Okay, we're looking at music schools. We're looking at people who teach piano. We're looking at groups, maybe even that already are in front of audiences, do, playing piano. 
music competitions. So that you can see how not only are you figuring out what your reader needs, but you're also figuring out how you're going to find them when you go to market it. And all of this work for the book feeds back to your podcast because these are the same people, right? So you can see how now the book will monetize your podcast because you're selling the book, but it also will help you grow your podcast and expand that audience. But being niche makes it much easier because you become the solution. This, the second book is a great example of that because it's tactical lock picking. It's getting through locked obstacles in an emergency. This is for first responders. I'm sure there's criminals that also were interested in this, but this is for first responders. <laughs> and when we went pitching to fire groups that do fire training, it was an automatic, oh my goodness, yes. And Sarah's our book marketing manager here. She just came in. And so she was part of the, the team that's pitching it. And it was one of the fastest yes, and they even, we even had a paid opportunity right out of the gate for him, which is rare, but it's, it's a solution, right? It solves a very specific problem for a very specific audience. And so, I mean, we had a huge success rate on our pitches for him for exposure because you put it in front of that audience and they go, yes, this is exactly what we need. And you want that, right? It's not, and there might be other markets, there's actually, and that's the beautiful thing about this. So you focus on first responders, but that doesn't mean, well, let's forget about the criminals for now, but that doesn't mean the people who write about crime aren't interested. There was that angle on this one. People want to have accuracy when they're describing how somebody's breaking into a house or how, even how if they're talking about first responders getting in, they want accuracy. So that was another market. So just because you're focused on one doesn't mean other markets aren't going to listen and aren't going to be interested as well. And this can also, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this can also be great if you're early in your podcast career. Because this hook can also be a great hook for your book and your podcast. And I put this one up here is don't, require, don't retire, graduate, which is a great hook, right? You're not, you're not retiring and kicking back for the rest of your life. You're graduating into this new phase of your life. It's kind of like when you graduate from university, now you're graduating into that phase. Well, retirement is not the end. It's the beginning. You're graduating into something new. And what a cool concept. And that concept is also for Eric Brotman, the author of this book. It's also the foundation of the podcast. And that is great. And it's great brand awareness when that works too. It can work beautifully that way. So the hook, if you do this work on audience identification and your hook, it can be a really fundamental part of your entire brand. <laughs> Sarah works with Eric. <laughs> um, and this will also set your business apart, too. So I want to give you one more example. This one is the Marijuana Hater's Guide to Making a Billion Dollars from Hemp. So it's, it's a little edgy, right? Like it's got the, million, or the Marijuana Hater's Guide to Making a Billion Dollars in Hemp. And this is a great angle for his consulting as well. You want, to talk, you, want to talk, you want to hire somebody who can help you navigate the hemp industry, which is an enormously growing industry that a lot of people are having trouble navigating because of you know, bank regulations and other rules in this industry. It's tricky. Um, and this book has done incredibly well without the author really doing a lot of marketing. <laughs> He's so busy, he hasn't had a lot of time. But this title, this hook, has set him up in his business and for his book to perform incredibly well. All right, so chapter titles, I'm gonna to come to book titles next, um, so, cause that's really fundamental to this, but we're, I'm kind of doing this in an order so you can think through how you take your content. So we've kind of found your you know, thing that makes you a little different. We know who we're talking to, 
And we now know um, we now know the hook, so the outcome of the outcome. So next is creating an outline. And this is all, by the way, still forgetting about your podcast content, right? So don't you're not thinking about your podcast content yet. The outline, which is essentially your chapter titles and kind of your plan for your book, I encourage you to, right from the beginning, think about chapter titles that are going to sell. When you're creating your outline, you're thinking of the outcome of the outcome and how your book is going to deliver that for your audience. And you're gonna structure it in that way. So the stories you tell all go to that hook. So they're all, that, that hook is the backbone of your book. Nothing goes in your book that doesn't deliver on giving somebody that outcome of the outcome. But you're gonna, you're gonna go through this with that in mind first. And then after you've got your outline, go look at your podcast content and see what fits. And then you might go, hmm, I'm missing something. And I did this, I don't have a podcast, but I have a YouTube channel. And my latest book is on book marketing. And I did this, I, I created the outline first, took the scripts from, all well, the transcripts from the videos, put them in, and then I quickly saw there was a couple chapters that were very empty. So my next bunch of videos that I filmed were all filling in the gaps on that piece so that we could take the transcripts from that and put them in. So I've got the content. There's a lot of work after that in terms of editing and revising, but at least I'm not staring at a blank page and it gets it done so much faster. But you start with the concept and the hook and the outline before you go, before you go to your content. Because when you try to shove the content into a book, it can create a disjointed book that doesn't actually get your reader to the outcome that you want to get them to. Chapter titles. While you're doing this and as you go through editing, make every chapter title something that creates curiosity, offers a benefit, or creates value. Every chapter title should be a little salesperson for your book because what happens when you do this well is those chapter titles become talk titles. They become courses that you might teach. They become things that the media asks you about. It is incredible what I have seen for myself but also for our authors what a great chapter title can do. And my example is actually my second book, which will be one of the examples of how not to title a book, just FYI. Um, however, I had one chapter that did everything for this book. So everything good that came out of this book was as a result of this one chapter right here. I think I have a laser. Let me see. There. You are who Google says you are. See, I used the laser, Matt. <laughs> Worked out. Um, so uh, you are who Google says you are. Uh, is a chapter title that landed me a lot of speaking engagements. It became a lead magnet that I advertised on, Google, on Facebook for, and it performed incredibly well. I've never had any success advertising on Facebook except for with this one thing. You are who Google says you are. So this one chapter title was phenomenal for this book. Um, my first book, More Than Cashflow, I had a chapter in it called uh, Where Are the Ladies At? And whenever I went on TV, um, on a news show, it was almost always, well, I could tell who hadn't prepared in advance, whose producers had read the book and whose, whose hadn't. But for the ones that hadn't prepared, they would open up and they'd look at the chapters and they'd always pick their questions based on the chapter titles. And the, oh, where are the ladies in real estate investing would be a question that I always got. So great chapter titles can go a long way. So when you're working on your outline, put the best possible chapter title down and keep working on it. A lot of people don't put enough effort into chapter titles and it's a missed opportunity. Okay, so title, subtitle. So a lot of people like to start by titling their book. They fall madly in love with a really bad title and it's almost impossible to get them off of the bad title. So I encourage you to give yourself a working title but don't finalize it until later uh, because the title isn't for you. 
and it doesn't matter what your friends and your mom think of your book title. What matters is what your reader thinks and what the search engines think. <laughs> so that's really where you want to focus on creating a title is those things. Um, and we'll talk about subtitles in a second. But across the top of this slide are the things that we look for in a great title. Ideally, three words or less. Now, I gave you an example of a book that's doing really well, uh, The Marijuana Hater's Guide to Making a Billion Dollars in Hemp. That doesn't have three words. So it doesn't mean, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. There are times where a longer title is perfect, right? Um, you know, how to win friends and influence people, another one. Like, a, there's, there's longer titles. But generally, if you look at bestsellers in the nonfiction space, the vast majority are three words or less titles. So it is a great thing to shoot for. Memorable. So this is the problem with The New Brand You, my, my second book. And I worked really hard on creating the title, but 10 podcast interviews in to promoting that book, I realized the problem. Everybody called it The Brand New You. They'd even be looking right at the darn book, and they would call it The Brand New You. So I did a lot of promotion for Dory Clark, who has a book that is more closely named to that. And when you type in the brand new you, that's who comes up, Story Clark, not Julie Broad. So <laughs> I, I think her book probably did really well in 2016 or whenever I did that book. <laughs> um, so I, it, it's one of those things where I, I can go back and I will at some point go back and relaunch the book under a different title and kind of revise the content. But if I had only just tested it, I just asked people, uh, bless you, whoever just sneezed. <laughs> uh, if I just asked people and said, hey, you know, here's my book title, and then randomly, 30 minutes later, say, do you remember what my book was called? And see what they said. That would have saved me a whole lot of embarrassment and pain. And I got to the point where I stopped correcting the people because I just, I didn't want to embarrass them that they were staring right at the book. And obviously it was my fault that I named my book something nobody could, like it just didn't jive with people's heads for whatever reason. So test your titles. Make sure people can actually remember it so that they can tell other people about the book, right? Because you don't want to be like, oh, the book that was read and, you know, it's got, you know, and that's how they're remembering your book. So easy to say is also important uh, because they can remember it and then they can tell other people. You're going to be saying it a thousand times over, so you want to make sure it's easy for you to say. The big, big one, though, speaks to your reader. This has to be something that when your reader sees it, reads it, hears it, they go, oh my goodness, this is for me. And a lot of people miss this because they go generic, right? They get that this one word speaks to them and they're like, this has got to be my book title. And you're like, why? Like, who, d does your reader know this word? Is this reader important to your, or is this word important to your reader? So works with search engines is a multifaceted point. One is that we want to use keywords so we want to look at what's searching in Google and on Amazon, and we want to ideally incorporate some of those keywords into the title or subtitle. Uh, also, we want to make sure as much as possible you don't have the same title as someone else. You can. Titles cannot be copy, copywritten. So you can have the same title as someone else unless there's a trademark involved, which with like Malcolm Gladwell, Freakonomics, they trademark those titles, but most book titles aren't, don't have a trademark involved, so you can have the same title as someone else's. The bigger question is, do you want to? Most of the time, the answer is no, because you, wanna, you want to be the one that's showing up when somebody searches for that title. If it's a book that came out 20 years ago, nobody's buying it, and it's, and it's in a different genre, I wouldn't stress it. But most of the time, we're encouraging people to find a title that is unique. And if you can own the URL, 
even better. That's ideal. So do some work on that to try to make sure you're getting a title that will also perform for you in search engines. And not trademarked, obviously, because <laughs> that'll cause you grief. Three examples, really quick there. Uh, Killers Keep Secrets is a book, a true crime book. I love the alliteration. A lot of our books end up with alliteration. Alliteration is great. If you can have it, you don't have to, but um, Protecting the Pig kind of has that alliteration as well. Um, Killers Keep Secrets, though, is about the Golden State Killer's brother-in-law's journey, kind of being close to the Golden State Killer and not knowing for many, many years that this, his brother-in-law and somebody he lived with was the Golden State Killer. Um, we didn't want to put Golden State Killer in the title, though, because this is not about the Golden State Killer. It's about the brother-in-law's journey of living with the person and not knowing and having his sister be married to him, you know, all of that. So, but you need the Golden State Killer in there to sell the book. So the subtitle, which is hard to see, but the, it, the subtitle has the Golden State Killer. That, I don't actually know what it is. It's the Golden State Killer's Second Life? This, uh, other Life, thank you. Um, sorry, I don't have all my book titles memorized. <laughs> uh, so it has it in there, so it gets the search engine love. Protecting the Pig, again, it, that title doesn't necessarily tell you exactly what it's about, but the subtitle does. So this is about protecting your wealth. So this is for people who have some money. They have assets. They have things to protect in the stock market and places like that. Kick-ass presentations. I honestly just show this because I love this cover. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's also a great one. And it shows that you can have fun with a subtitle and still get the keywords in there. Because this is wow audiences with PowerPoint slides that click, humor that's quick, and messages that stick. PowerPoint slides, really important keyword on there. And the subtitle has some fun with it. So humor as well is another keyword in that. So now you've got the foundation of a book that is set up to help you monetize and grow your podcast. Now, I mean, obviously there's the whole process of writing it, editing, designing, distribution. But once you've got that book, you have a really, really powerful tool. And it's time to, and throughout the process, think about how you're going to monetize and market the book. Live appearances are wonderful. And once you have a book, a lot of times they amplify. What you'll find is a lot of the speaker forms that you submit for different events, whether they're paid or unpaid speaking gigs, they say, what books have you written? It's not a question of have you written a book. It actually says, what books have you written? Please list them here. They're assuming if you're going to get on a stage that you are an expert, that you have something that backs up your expertise like a book. Uh, media is also something that when you have a book, if, I always give the example of um, you get on media and they don't say um, blogger or podcaster unless you're really big in that space, but they will say author or they'll put your degree credentials on there. So the, the media looks for that expert status symbol of a book and using that book to get you the media appearances doesn't sell a lot of books, honestly. Media does not sell a ton of books, but it has tremendous value to your overall platform. The credibility boosting aspect of it, the connections, the links back to your website, all of those things are valuable. And the book opens the door to a lot of that. Book awards are also useful for credibility boosting. You know, to say that you've won this award and to amplify that on your uh, website and in any of your media, if you're doing library and bookstore outreach, that all helps with that. And feeding into your podcast audience. Now you've got something else to offer your podcast audience, because a lot of times they've listened to a couple of episodes and they're like, oh my goodness, I want, I want all of this or I want more. How can you help me? A book is a tremendous way to do that. 
partnerships, I mentioned a few already, you know, about the book awards for mine and the magazine um, for the first book that I did. So think about, I always, <laughs> I always tell people, okay, what, what do you talk about or who, what company or who do you talk about in your book all the time? You're, either because you're a fan or you use their product or their surface, your book is something that they might be interested in partnering with you in some way because you're promoting them. You're a huge advocate for what they do. But there's other ways to use your book in partnerships too. So think about that and use your book strategically in whatever way you can. We had one of our, our uh, clients a few years ago, he wrote a book called Return on Courage. And in it, he had interviewed a bunch of companies talking about courage and how they used courage to succeed or to overcome different things. And uh, in the end, he actually uh, used that book as outreach to some of them and got some paid speaking engagements at the different companies that he had featured inside of his book. So think about that. It's not like, I wouldn't re recommend you just put something in there for the purposes of doing that, but when it's genuine and it's real, I think there's really good opportunities for you there. Um, and your book is currency. This is the, you know, there's lots of ways to use your book as currency. It can be, hey, I'll give you hundreds of copies of my book in exchange for, you know, your magazine subscription giveaway, and you'll give me advertising. But there's other ways to do it. And the, like the book award as well, I'm giving them eBooks for anybody who enters, and they're giving us a lot of promotion in exchange for that. And of course, everybody that enters is now getting a copy of the book, and it has a promotional page in the back of the book too. And finally, one of my favorites is turning your book into a course, because once you've thought all of this through and you've got an outcome of an outcome, that's the course. And books are set up to consume, courses are set up to have you take action. So a course can be a great way to now monetize everything that you're doing and the book will feed beautifully into it. What I do encourage you to do is, so a lot of people call babies, books their baby. Anybody heard that or said that themselves? It's like, this is a book baby, yeah. So the problem a lot of people have is if it was really a baby, their baby would be dead. Because, I'm sorry, I know that's dramatic, but here's the thing. They work really hard to produce this amazing book and they spend a month or two marketing it and then they stop. Now, if you had a baby and you stopped caring for it two months after it was out, <laughs> what's gonna happen? So if you are thinking of your book like a baby, let's think about it like a baby and take care of it and, and take care of it for a long time. Because if you do, you never know what will happen. And I love sharing this story. Robert Bell was an author that we worked with. And for, I mean, he's still, I think his book's been out two, two, two and a half years? Yeah, 20, so it's been out since 2019. But he said yes to every podcast interview and was showed up prepared for every podcast interview and everything he did. And about a year after his book came out, he had the opportunity to uh, send a submission into TED Global Ideas. And what he found was all these podcast interviews he had done, he had figured out a nugget that he said that was of great interest to everybody when he said it on the podcast. And so he went deep on that nugget that he shared and that became his TED Global Ideas talk, which has been watched more than two million times now. And it says the emotions behind your money habits is kind of the, the title that you see there. That was the nugget that everybody kind of leaned into when he was talking. So every opportunity, bye. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Um, so every opportunity that they had, uh, they, or that he had, he was using it and he was leveraging and learning. And uh, you know, a year and a half later, 
Ted Global Ideas, and so many amazing things are happening for him. So use every opportunity. Use every opportunity with your book. Um, and then I put this up, at, this is Virgie. I, I actually think this is a book every American should have it ha <laughs> because of the, the tips in here to navigate health insurance. So that's partly, I'm here telling you that everybody will benefit from this book. I was blown away by her phenomenal tips. But this is something we also wanna put in the back of your book, is some sort of a page that has an offer on it. Uh, you know, it's not, a lot of people say, oh, just connect with me on social media, but I would recommend if you're a speaker, this is your opportunity to promote your speaking. If you have a podcast, promote your podcast. If somebody has got to the end of your book, they often are thinking, okay, what's next? What's next? Or how do I find this person? How do I learn more? So give them that page. Uh, having a page in there that also talks to bulk offers, even if you only get one or two, ever from your book, you know, that might be 500 copies of your book that you've sold in bulk from having a single page at the back of your book. So when I'm talking use every opportunity, I really am saying think about all of the pieces that you can leverage to grow your business, your brand, your podcast, and your audience. Uh, and this is one way that you can get more and kind of get a workbook to break down everything I talked about today. This is booklaunchers.com forward slash the number seven steps. And you can download our seven steps to write and plan your book. And for those of you here, um, the, the, virtual, the virtual folks won't be able to join us at the booth, but you're welcome to come by our booth. And we also have copies of Self-Publish and Succeed that you can pick up today. Um, and some of our author's books that you're welcome to take home so that I don't have to take them home on the plane. <laughs> um, we have five minutes if anybody has questions. Okay, great. They're gonna, they have a mic, so we'll just let them grab the mic. Yep. I'm shaking with excitement. Okay, so first, the, the, we'll come to the time in a second. The software piece. Software piece is always a fun one for me. I bought, so I have a book publishing company, right? So I bought Scrivener, which is one of the, you know, everybody says, oh, you gotta have Scrivener. I, no. <laughs> it was so complicated that I spent, she's laughing, so she's done this. I spent three days trying to figure out how to use Scrivener and wasted so much time. I could have wrote 10,000 words by the time, I, so I gave up and I went back to Word. You know, there's some people who swear by Scrivener, that's not me. Um, as far as software, I do caution you, um, I, when we go to lay out a book, if you're working with a professional layout person, they're going to use Adobe InDesign for the layout. When they do that, if you have worked in anything but Word, you have added a whole bunch of gunk to your document that now has to be stripped out. And what that means is any formatting that you have put into your book has to be stripped clean before it goes into Adobe. So I recommend using Word and using the, head, the headlines and header features in there because that translates beautifully over to Adobe. It's also a great platform for editing and working through the whole process with the team of people that you'll need. Um, Google Docs has a lot of problems when you go to transfer it over. It has the sharing feature, which a lot of people like, uh, and of course you are less likely to lose your work, but just know that going in, because the formatting piece, it can be devastating if you've, okay, I want to bold this word, and I want to have this word, it's all gone. Um, time. Um, the first, I mean, my early books took about a year to write, um, and my latest book, though, I was struggling to finish. So this is the one I did the YouTube videos, the, the transcripts, and for me, I was just, things are busy, and I was just struggling. So about three quarters of the way through, I handed it to a writer to get it done. Um, and that was really fast. 
<laughs> it was really fast giving it to a writer. Uh, but it really does vary. What we find is our authors who are, once they have clarity, right? A lot of people who are struggling to write don't have clarity. Once they have clarity, work writing five hours a week, you can get the book done, depending on how long it is, in three to six months. Yeah. Um, you know, if you sit down and hunker down for a day, I found I could get 10,000 words done in a day. Um, so it really, it depends on you, your schedule, and your clarity of the subject matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, sometimes just bring in a writer. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, um, thank you so much, this was so good. My name is Rachel, I have a podcast called Taking the Leap. So my quick question is, do audiobooks convert better? Like if I'm promoting it on my podcast, should I promote the audiobook, because it's already audio, or promote the physical copy? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. What I would say is when you're on a pod, so you're talking about when you're on somebody else's podcast or even your own? Okay, great. So I often would prefer to direct somebody to some sort of a lead magnet, but mention that there'll be a link in there to get my audiobook. Um, that's what I would do. Because if you drive people to buy your book, you don't know who they are. Amazon will never tell you who bought your book. So you'll never get that connection. But if you're on your podcast or interviewing on somebody else's, send them to a place where you're going to get their email. And then in that first email, say, hey, here's how, here's how I can help you, here's the links. But I would mention, um, we are finding a tremendous shift, especially in the last two years, towards audiobooks in particular. And if somebody has an audio platform already, that's a huge thing. Like you really, you really do want to let people know. But I would just make it aside. I would direct them to this and then say, oh, you can get, there's a link there to buy my audiobook. Yeah. Oh, right here. Sorry. Yes. Uh, how you doing? Uh, thank you for this. Okay. So I'm currently an author. The book is called The Black Collar Mindset, The Art of Strategic Thinking. And to your point, I realize how hard it is to try to um, have other engagements with those individuals through Amazon versus saying, hey, I'm going to do something special. Here's my autographed book. Yeah. And then that way, do you see a change where you can see the individuals that have purchased your book either on Audible or on Amazon in the future? I mean, they're never going to give us that data. Um, we can't even break down as to where people buy the book. Um, you only get marketplace breakdown. However, I think there is, if you're running ads of any kind, I would run them to a page where you sell the book and distribute it yourself so that you're getting that information. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I don't foresee a world where they give us that data. <laughs> I would love it, but I don't see that happening. Julie, could you please talk a little bit about the economics of maybe Amazon? Could you just give a kind of an idea of expectations and yep. costs maybe to publish books, uh, publish the, to print the copies and yep. margins and kind of just general economics? Thanks. Yeah, for sure. And this will be our last question, just FYI. But we are at the booth. So if you guys want to come talk to us, Sarah and I are both at the booth. So you're welcome to come by. Um, so, so yeah, so typically a print book on Amazon, you'll make I mean, it depends on how you price it. So this is, this is going for like a typical $12.99 to $18.99 price point for a print book. You'll make somewhere between 4 to $5 per book sold. Um, and if you sell through bookstores, that number is very similar unless you go for books, like bookshelf distribution. And when you get, go for bookshelf distribution, you have to give them a much higher percentage. So you're going to be making less than that. 
Um, and that's a whole other conversation because there's some real risks with bookstore distribution as a self-published author because it has to be returnable. And then the return will cost you more money than they pay you for the book in the first place. So, but they can be available online to all, to all the stores and that's what you'll make. Um, audiobooks, you don't get to set the price point. Audible does. So uh, you make what Audible <laughs> deems you worthy of making, basically. Ebooks are different. Um, you make more if you're exclusive with Amazon, um, but you know you might sell it for 99 cents and be making almost nothing. But if you're selling it for 9.99, you can make up to 70% of that, um, depending on different programs. So hope that helps. Well, thank you, everybody. It was a pleasure. Uh, please come see us at the booth if you haven't already been.